Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. This is number 59. We are uh, continuing our series on the best of pictures, uh, but before we uh, welcome in our co-host, uh, we've got a couple of announcements. Number one, um, the premium episode in which we discuss Kevin Smith's dogma is now available. You can find that at morethanonelesson.com. The episode is about 90 minutes long. Uh, and it will cost $2.50. The proceeds go to help send me to the International Christian Film Festival where More Than One Lesson has a vendor table. Uh, so if you would like to help support the show in that way, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, another thing, we are nominated for a podcast award, our sixth in a row. Um, and uh, I'd like to win. I don't think we're going to, but I'd like to. And uh, you can... You can play your part. So if you, actually, if you go to morethanonelesson.com, uh, there will be a button on the side that says Podcast Awards. You can click on that, and that will take you to a blog post that gives you specific instructions on how to do it. It's not remarkably complicated, but it's more than just going to podcastawards.com and clicking uh, on More Than One Lesson in the religion category. You also have to enter an email address and that sort of thing, So because you have to verify your vote. So uh, both of those things you can find at morethanonelesson.com. And I would appreciate uh, any kind of support you can throw our way, either monetarily or with voting. Democratically. Let's try that. Yes. So, um, all right. We will now welcome in our co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Doing good. How all are right. you? I'm doing fine. I don't know why, you know, you're giving me the third degree here. Look, just tell me how you're doing. I, I, I don't know, man. I'm, 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 I don't know. Spit it out. Come on. I'm doing. I guess I'm doing okay. All right. I'll accept it. That was a that was fun a fun character thing we just did, <laughs> where you're the Grand Inquisitor and I'm uh, some stool pigeon. Yeah. Who were, <laughs> who were you in that situation? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, look. Here's the deal. Josh and I have to record two mini shows, and then we've got to go watch Chappie. Gotta. Well, he has to. I'm there for moral support. Um, <laughs> listeners of Battleship Pretension might remember that my least favorite movie of 2013 was Neil Blomkamp's last film, Elysium. And uh, Chappie sounds like it's not going to be much better. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. So uh, who knows? We could come back singing a totally different tune. You know what? I've been sur- I've been more surprised in the past mm-hmm. by a movie, both positively and negatively. So. Uh, yeah, so we've got places to be. So we're gonna just uh, we're gonna try and uh, just charge through this. But I know that we're not going to be able to because uh, this minisode we're talking about Bernardo Bertolucci's The Last Emperor, which I just saw for the first time a couple days ago. Full disclosure: I okay, I uh, rented it or checked it out from the library. And they had the Criterion version, which is a two-disc set. Uh, and I threw, and there was, but there was only one disc in there. I thought, okay, well, no special features. That's fine. So I threw in the disc. Lo and behold, the only, the disc that was in there was the, was called the television version, which was a full hour la- uh, longer, <laughs> bringing it to about three hours and 40 minutes. Uh, so the film that I, but I, th- I figured, you know what? I've, I'll just go ahead. I'll bite the bullet and watch it. Uh, it worked out very well for me as far as Dances with Wolves, watching an extended version. So maybe it would with Last Emperor. Um, and 
So the film that I'll be talking about is not the theatrical release. And so you and I uh, have seen different versions of this film. Uh, but what I'll say is I thought it was, I believe the word I used was magnificent. It is a movie that I just, it took me probably about 25 minutes to, to get into it. Um, partially because it is, it is about such a different culture at a different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is it Chinese culture, but it's Chinese culture, turn of the century, back when there is still, you know, back when it was imperial. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me almost immediately was that everything about the world inside the forbidden city where the emperor uh, resides, it seems so ancient. And you get mm. the impression, oh, they haven't changed anything for potentially thousands of years. Quite, quite possibly. Yeah. Uh, and so it just seems, it seems like such a different era when in fact it was merely a hundred years ago. Yeah. And then every once in a while you'll see a glance, um, or at least for the first hour and a half, you'll see a glance of like the world outside the Forbidden City and it's, it's like a time warp. Yeah, it's like jarring. And that's one of the things that I love about it is it really does a great job of showing you just how insular this guy's life is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, but it, but it was such a foreign culture and one that I just felt, it just felt like I couldn't get involved in it. Uh, but thankfully as the character of, uh, Puyi, uh, as he grows older and starts to understand his situation more because he, uh, China got rid of the emperor position and became a, a communist republic when he was three, but Mm. they had an agreement where he had to abdicate and no one would replace him. He could stay in the forbidden city. He would get paid 4 million. Uh, I don't remember. I'll just say dollars, whatever, whatever it was, um, $4 million a year. And he would stay in the forbidden city with the hundreds of servants that he has. And that, that was what his life was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so he felt very much a prisoner in there, even though it was very vast. Mm hmm. Uh, and then as he gets older, probably when he turns, when he turns 15, first off, I think the actor playing Puyi at age 15, his name is, uh, uh, Tao Wu, uh, he's marvelous. I, I think he's wonderful. And it's right around that time that Peter O'Toole shows up as his, uh, tutor. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, a lot of things that got me more into it as the film progressed. And once I was in, I was in all the way. I thought it was just such a fascinating story and such often such a heartbreaking one. It seems almost it's, it's no Lawrence of Arabia, but, but what I'll say is like Lawrence of Arabia, it's an epic that it seems like a strange story to hang an epic on. Now, of course, Lawrence of Arabia has all kinds of battles and that sort of thing. Um, but the main character is a mystery. You don't know what drives him, and that's one of the things I like about it. Whereas with this, it's a guy who lives uh, in a very opulent world, and just he just keeps losing power. Hmm. And by the end, he becomes just – he's basically just a regular citizen that is nothing special. And so it's it's basically an epic that gets less and less epic as you go along, mm. uh, which I think is a, a fascinating idea. So uh, and I'll talk more about the specifics that I liked uh, in a moment. But uh, when was so this is all very fresh in my memory. Mm. When is the last time you saw The Last Emperor? I, I think I saw it in college. So it's been a while. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I remember not loving it, but liking it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't have a strong reaction to it as you did, but then again, I did see a yeah. smaller version, so it's hard to. I'm sure there will there'll be moments that you remember from it that I won't be able to tell whether or not. Yeah, absolutely. Those are uh, whether or not I saw those same moments. Um, uh, but I do agree that the story is interesting, and that you know the 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 culture shock that this guy has to go through, kind of. Uh, he's really kind of going through hundreds of years. It, it, it's like someone who has to suddenly go forwards in time. Yeah. Um, it's a, there's almost a time travel element to it because his culture has been so separated from the outside world for so long. I would say it seems like a man without without a country, except that's almost exactly what he is. Yeah. Because he gets transferred between China and Japan, and then he becomes a puppet emperor for a kingdom in China run by Japan. It's yeah. It's really fascinating. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting. And there's a lot about, you know, because of stuff like that, there's a lot of throughout it about what he represents mm-hmm. rather than just who he is, or at least a lot of people look at him that way. I have him representing either something of the old system or, um, within the old system, he represents, you know, almost God, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting the, 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 uh, the different things that happen with that character. Uh, I also remember thinking that visually it was very, very mm-hmm. beautiful. And again, you have that contrast between the, uh, the world inside the city. That's very beautiful. And, uh, with sort of the, the, the drabber colors of, of mm-hmm. the communist Chinese world, um, with, with patches of red here and there. Oh, watch uh, out. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I remember that being something about it as well. And I think, uh, I, I haven't seen a, many other Bertolucci films, but I know that he has been known, uh, he's, he's known as a strong visual director. Yeah, I would say so. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, he, he doesn't have to work super hard to contrast the color palettes yeah. because communism is drab. That's mm-hmm. why it's horrible. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I will say I'm not a communist, uh, and I have a great deal of disdain for it because one thing that's, uh, I took a, a Russian and Soviet history class. I've always been fascinated by Russia, uh, and I'm always, fa- I'm, I've always been fascinated by Soviet Russia, especially, um, I think you can, you can love film for only so long before you arrive at Soviet Russia and yeah. you see like what, what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, uh, you know, just when you watch a movie like this, you understand, okay, well, here's what communist, here's what communist China started looking like. And, uh, you know, the last best picture that you and I talked about was the most recent one, which was Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance. I feel like this could be called the last emperor or how communism ruins everything. <laughs> That's what I was, I was going to ask about it. I didn't remember so much from the time that I saw it, but, uh, how I, I was wondering how strongly that comes out against communism. It, it certainly seems to come out pretty strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, and what's interesting is, I mean, they, they certainly make the emperor and his world look very out of touch. You can understand the world in which communism could come about, not unlike, not unlike Russia, mm-hmm. where they had czars and they just, and just people that were so, uh, leaders that were so out of touch with their people and so, the people like rose up. And so you can understand that completely. It's not like I'm 
longing for the days of an emperor mm-hmm. or anything like that. But um, but you see that, frankly, just especially, uh, you know, especially with um, China, it just got passed around from one like warlord to another mm-hmm. and everything was just chaotic. And, you know, when it when China first becomes a republic, you know, they still have a great deal of respect for the old world. That's why they're allowing him to have the he still has the emperor, the the title of emperor. Right. He's still allowed to uh, have the Forbidden City. Nobody can come in like he it's basically like his own little embassy and they can't do anything about it. Well, then, of course, that's that's how it is for a while. And then it changes hands. And, you know, when you get. Uh, a movement that that says we are so much more superior than the old world then suddenly they start to think why should we have respect for the old world yeah. and so he just gets driven uh, basically the communists come in uh when he's i think in his early 20s and they say hey everybody here has an hour to leave <laughs> and it's i mean it's it's crazy and and then when you see the 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 reeducation camps that he's a that he's a part yeah, of and yeah. it's just and you realize, like, man, I mean, obviously, uh, an emperor or an imperial system is not good, but this certainly isn't either. Mm-hmm. Um, when they just continually tell him that he is literally thinking the wrong thing, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's, uh, yeah, that comes through, I think, pretty. And you know what? Again, I haven't seen the theatrical cut. Maybe that's a lot of the stuff that they cut. Maybe. But it certainly does. Uh, they certainly hit it pretty hard in the in the television version. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so, uh, I'll say this, the movie won every Oscar that it was nominated for, including, huh, picture, director, adapted screenplay, cinematography, art direction, costume design, sound, editing, and original score. Sound and editing being Sorry, two separate sound ones. and editing, pardon me, yes. Um, yeah, and, uh, I can definitely see all of those, um, hmm. Art art direction seems odd because I think they actually shot in the Forbidden City, and so it's not mm. like they had a whole lot of yeah. uh, say there. But I'm sure that within certain chambers they would, you know, uh, maybe they set it up on a soundstage and that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, and they might have had to make some of it look. I mean, I don't know what it looks like or looked like in '87. There might right. have been things that had been changed. Um, they might have had to do things to make it look more like it did. Yeah. And they do this wonderful little thing. Speaking of it in 87, at the very end of the movie, you actually see a, tu- a modern tour guide and modern tourists. You can tell by the way they're dressed walking into the throne room. And she hmm. explains the she says, we are now in the throne room of the Forbidden City. Uh, the last emperor to rule was Emperor Puyi. Uh, he abdicated when he was three years old. He died in 1967. Hmm. And that's and then the movie fades out. And hmm. it's this idea that like this character that we that I just spent three and three hours and 40 minutes watching his story, a very tragic one. Uh, and he is basically just a footnote to tourists, you know, yeah. and it got me thinking about a lot of larger things. Just this idea of like, you know, you would think that the fine, the last emperor of China would be a. Uh, a big deal historically, but he really isn't not even in modern day China. Yeah. He's um, really, he, he really is only important as, um, something signifying the end of that era. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if he, if he abdicated when he was three, he never actually had any rule over exactly. 
over the over the country. Um, but yeah, and so so you actually do get us get to see a little glimpse of it in 1987. But uh, but yeah, uh, the costumes are gorgeous. Um, the score is uh, I'll say this: the score is very good. It also has a there's a certain tone to 80s score. Mm-hmm. Um, Who did the score? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember, but I seem to recall um, that David David Byrne might have been involved somehow, um, which might go a long way to the uh, uh, the 80s quality of it. Yeah, um, that would be funny, actually. But yeah, uh, let me because another, especially because another movie we talked about recently, which also came out in 1987, was Wall Street, which also had a score by. Uh, uh, a pop musician or with a pop musician involved. Okay. So yeah. Uh, looking at this, it's not remarkable. Okay. Nine songs composed by, Oh, this is going to be rough. Ryuichi Sakamoto mm. as lo- at five by David Byrne and one from Kong Su. And so, uh, and then a few incidental pieces of source music. Uh, so it's several mm. people involved and interesting. Uh, and my guess is, you know, because it does incorporate uh, a score that does sound distinctively, you know, distinctly, distinctly Chinese. Right. Uh, and then uh, a more contemporary score. Not that it uses, uh, with David Byrne, you would think that, oh, okay, so it's some odd instrumentation. No, not that. It just, it just has a, a certain quality that I feel like when you watch enough 80s movies uh, or 80s dramas, you kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, I got this. Right. Um so, uh, but it's, but it's a good score. It's effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's edited very well, especially when it jumps from the present to the past and then they finally meet up. Right. Um, I like that kind of thing. I think it is edited remarkably well. It was, uh, sorry, I think it was written, uh, remarkably well. Um, they adapted it from Puyi's own, um, autobiography as well as a few other things. Uh, the character that, uh, Peter O'Toole plays also wrote his own story and so they they brought that in as well and yeah. so uh you know it was fairly well documented and and but what one thing that i really like and i think this goes to bertolucci who was uh one of the writers um is that it never feels dry you're going from somebody's autobiography and you're going from other sources to tell this story and there's really nothing there's no wars there's you know it's not Patton. yeah it's not la- uh there's uh, Lawrence of Arabia, it could have seemed very dry, but it doesn't. It feels very human and mm. very lived in. Mm. And I think that's, I think that's a, a function of Bertolucci who tells very, not merely human stories, but there's a vitality to the way he tells stories. Yeah. Um, they're very, they're very in the moment. They're very present as mm-hmm. opposed to looking back on history and be like, okay, we already know everything we need to know. Now here's us depicting it. Yeah. Um, so, and I do think it's, it's also wonderfully acted. Uh, John Lone plays, uh, Puyi as an adult and he gets most, he is definitely the lead. He gets most of the screen time. I know very little about him as an actor because he didn't really do much, uh, in, you know, in my lifetime as I grew, as I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in this. He was in, um, I believe the Cronenberg, was it Cronenberg who, who directed the, I think he directed M. Butterfly. Um, with Jeremy Irons, an adaptation of the play. I remember. Um, but uh, and then I I mostly know John Lone as the villain Shiwan Khan from The Shadow. Really, last descendant of Genghis Khan. And he's really mm-hmm. good at it, and he's mm-hmm. and there's a lot of humor in his part as well that he pulls off very well. Hmm. So um, 
and it is just kind of a bummer that his that his career i think he moved more towards the stage and just i don't know like so many other actors i think maybe people associated with him with a very specific part which might be this in this film Mm -hmm. and of a very specific era um i don't know it's hard to say um and i would be and i certainly know that uh you know asian actors just don't get as much work as as you know white actors or or anything like that just because hollywood isn't remarkably interested in telling that story it's worth noting that this is directed by an italian director yeah um and so uh but yeah it's it's uh it's a really wonderful movie and listeners if you haven't seen it i understand why i haven't i didn't see it until i was 33 <laughs> uh and so it just it didn't seem like a very vital movie or a movie that I needed to see it. You know, as you and I've been talking about the eighties, we talk about big movies, big epic movies that mm-hmm. are super long and they're biographical, you know, out of Africa, Gandhi, Amadeus, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and while Amadeus is wonderful, Gandhi, uh, just kind of oozes along at a snail's pace, even mm-hmm. though there's a good performance by Ben Kingsley. And then out of Africa, I've never, I always, heard that that was sort of the english patient of its day Mm. um and i always lumped last emperor in with that with those just movies that are just boring but there's a grandeur to them and that's the end Mm -hmm. last emperor is not that at all so listeners if you haven't seen it uh seek it out it's very very good i highly recommend it i I, josh i think you should rewatch it i think you'd like Mm. it maybe even more now yeah i'd I'd be interested to see the longer version especially now that i know that exists and and is readily available and I don't know, so I know it's on Criterion, but I don't know if it's available on Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, I wish I'd thought of that uh, when uh, Criterion had their flash sale a couple days ago. Yeah, that's true, actually. I wish I'd thought of that. Sorry. Um, I'm apologizing to me in this instance. <laughs> uh, and so, um, yeah, but uh, but I'm sure it, it looks gorgeous on Blu-ray when, if and when they, they release it, or if they already have, and I haven't seen it that way. Um, so I think we'll move on. Uh the other best pictures from 1987, best picture nominees, were Broadcast News, Fatal Attraction, Hope and Glory, and Moonstruck. Now, I actually have only seen, I haven't seen Moonstruck, I've been told I'll love it. I haven't seen Hope and Glory, a film that has been lost to the ages, which is to say, like, people have heard of Fatal Attraction, some people have heard of Moonstruck, and people remember Broadcast News. Yeah. Hope and Glory is one that is just sort of faded, even though it's directed by John Borman, Who's a direct, who made Deliverance and was kind of a, a notable filmmaker of the time and in the seventies. Yeah. It's weird because when I looked at that list, that's the only one that I thought I don't. I know nothing about that movie, nothing yeah. at all. And I it was it and, and it got a fair number of uh, of nominations that year. Um, hmm. But yeah, but I've seen broadcast news. Uh, I've seen scenes from Fatal Attraction. I never saw the whole thing. Yeah, I didn't see Hope and Glory, and I haven't seen Moonstruck. So I've only seen broadcast news, and this is going to happen more and more Yeah, the further back we go. That's funny. I'm in the exact same place with that one. I've seen broadcast news, seen bits and pieces from Fatal Attraction, yeah. and nothing of the other two. Although Moonstruck is one of those ones that I feel like a lot of people have seen, and I, I feel like I need to see. Well, I... I, I will frequent the uh the webs the i think it's just called siskel dash ebert i think dot org where you can watch old episodes of siskel and ebert yeah, including yeah. like their 10 best of the year and then their one of my favorites is when they say it's if we pick the if we pick the winners and so they oh, go yeah. through the nominees and talk about which they think should win and so i was watching it for 1987 
And uh, one thing real quick that they said was very interesting is they how much they love The Last Emperor and how the studio actually didn't seem to be behind it. Really? Like there was no big studio push for it to win anything. Huh. Uh, and then it wins – Nine. nine it I wins know. all nine that nine is a big for. like yeah. that's a yeah that's, a, that's one a of the lot. ones there are very few that have won nine or more and so uh but yeah uh both siskel and ebert loved moonstruck and i know that uh david my bp co-host he he loves it as well and based on some of the some of the scenes that i saw as a function of watching their show i feel like i'd like it too it's john patrick shanley who yeah, uh made, he wrote it but didn't direct it right he might have directed it as well. No, you know, I, I think, think I looked Norman it up. And it was, I yeah, it was Norma Jewison. Um, but yeah, he wrote it and then he wrote Doubt, which uh, yeah. I think he directed that one. And I he think did. it's directed kind of heavy handedly. Yeah. But I think it's written well. Yeah. Um, he wrote something else. I, I meant maybe thinking of he's written several did plays. He powder? I might be wrong about that. I'm not sure. I might be thinking because I think the, the main actor's name is uh, I think it's is it John Patrick Flannery or something <laughs> like that? So I'm like. Shanley Flanner, it's basically the same. Whatever. Um, he wrote a play, I'm pretty sure it's called Defiance, too, that's very okay. good, that I've read but haven't seen. He seems like he comes from the theater world a lot, but I, I didn't I didn't realize he had written this movie, so that's... Yeah, I, I'm... That one is, is kind of a priority for me, so I, I feel like I need to see it. Um, so, I guess what I'm saying is, between The Last Emperor and Broadcast News... Um, I think I'd probably choose Last Emperor. I think I yeah. personally respond to broadcast news more. Mm-hmm. But Last Emperor, I responded to a lot. Yeah. And it's a movie I did not expect to. It yeah. seemed like it would be pretty emotionless. Um, and of those, and unrelatable, but it is not. It's actually yeah. quite relatable. And of those two, it's it definitely seems like the more <laughs> the more cinematic one, the more oh, best picture-y one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, uh, listeners also, if you haven't seen broadcast news, uh, check it out. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, okay. So other it was in the age of William Hurt. That's when he was in like everything. He yeah. He was like, he was like leading man, romantic lead, William Hurt. Yeah. He won best actor in 1985, mm-hmm. nominated in 86, mm-hmm. again in 87. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was very strange, uh, that he was just very much. Body Heat was in the 80s, too. What year yes. was that? I think that was 84. Yeah. Maybe 83. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, he was the leading man of the 80s. Yeah. And it's and with good reason. He's a oh, really yeah. great actor. Yeah. Um, you know, I know him. I think probably the first thing I saw him in was was probably uh, broadcast news. But uh, yeah. But I remember thinking he was wonderful in A History of Violence. He got yeah. an Oscar nomination for that for about eight minutes of screen time. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so... Uh, so some of the other notable 1987 releases, and a lot of these I have seen, mm-hmm. uh, that's what's kind of interesting. And this ha- this will happen year to year. Yeah. Um, there's the Best Picture nominees, and then there's the movies that, you know, because I was five in 1987, I didn't see any of these. But as I've gotten older, these are the movies that have kind of uh, risen to the top culturally and thus have become a priority to watch. Um, and Hope and Glory was not one. Yeah. Um, Moonstruck really wasn't either. Uh, Fatal Attraction, that does have a certain cultural uh, significance. But, uh, but yeah, so here's some of the other uh, 87 releases. One is Wall Street, which we talked about in our Foxcatcher episode mm-hmm. recently, um, which won Best Actor for Michael Douglas. Um, I think it's a very good movie. I really like Oliver Stone. We'll be talking about him in the next minisode. Uh, good Morning Vietnam, a movie that I think is... Very good, and I think kind of, 
I mean, Robin Williams was already well known, but I think made him a, a, a sought after big screen presence. Yeah, he got his yeah. first Oscar nomination for this. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Ironweed. Uh, directed by one. Hector Babenko, who is a big, who's a, a very much an eighties hmm. uh, director. He did kiss the spider woman. Um, it's got Jack Nicholson and, and Meryl Streep. Some of the best work either of them has, have ever done. Uh, the untouchables, which I've never liked. Hmm. Um, it's got some nice uh, visual things that, it, that borrows from, uh, aforementioned, uh, Soviet, uh, yeah. Soviet film, um, uh, battleship Potemkin. Um, do you ever start to say Battleship Potemkin and you have to think about it a minute so Constantly. you don't say Battleship Potemkin? Yeah. It's gotten to the point now that I will, I will, David and I will just say Potemkin so that we don't have to worry yeah. about it. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I Never Saw My Life as a, a Dog, Lasse Hallstrom's film. I haven't seen that one either, but that's one I'd like to see. Uh, I Never Saw Radio Days. Radio Days I saw within the last few years and I liked a lot, actually. I, I'm always dubious of, of later uh woody allen or maybe even 80s woody allen in general really yeah i don't know i like i i love the 70s stuff the most um and there's some in the early 80s but once you get towards the late 80s early 90s some of it i don't i don't like quite as much so or at least i have a feeling that i'm not gonna like it as much i think 85 to 95 might be my favorite period really uh as we'll talk about a little a little bit later i mean i think i haven't seen enough during that time period although one of the ones that a lot of people like that i don't like that much is purple rose of cairo which i think I is 89 88 something like maybe that. right around there yeah um uh but i do like deconstructing harry a lot which is 97 is 90, that's that's after that period <laughs> um I'm trying to think if there's another one that I like in that time period that I know is in that time period. I'm not sure. Well, there's Hannah and her sisters. Okay, I do like there's that one. Crimes and Misdemeanors. That's right. Crimes and Misdemeanors is the one that I always forget because I do the, like that one a lot. Yeah, those those might be my two. I like any I like any of his movies with the word and in there. I like Sweet and Low <laughs> Down. I like Annie and Hall. I like <laughs> that's a dumb joke. I'm sorry. Hannah and her sisters. Crimes and Misdemeanors. Just for some reason, I just really. Uh, those are probably my three favorite of his. Yeah. Um, though I do love Bullets Over Broadway, which is 94. Yeah. Um, and Radio Days is really was a really good one. And it, it stars, uh, among other people, I'm going to forget her name. She has the voice of Marge on The Simpsons. Can oh, Julie Kavner. Right Julie Kavner is in it. And I, I was watching that for a long time thinking, I know that voice. Where, am yeah. I, where do I know her from? And sure enough, that's what it turned out to be. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breeze through some of these. Uh with Nail and I is a film that has taken on a certain, uh, oh, what do you call it? Oh, shoot. Oh, no. I can't think of the word. Not counterculture. Underground? Underground. I don't know. It's, uh, I can't quite, cult, cult status. Ah, yes. Uh, it has a certain cult status, and we actually watch it once for movie night, and I think it's marvelous. Yeah, I thought it was, it was um, a good one. Full Metal Jacket is a film that, I mean, it's one of, it's, I think it's the only, it's the movie that he made, that Kubrick made between The Shining and <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. So, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't making a lot of movies uh, towards the end. Didn't he make Barry Lyndon? That was 73, I think. Really? I thought that was after The Shining. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, it might be 74. I don't remember exactly. Oh, you know what? 75, sorry. Um, but yeah, and so uh, I like Full Metal Jacket. I don't love it. I think the first half is very is great Mm -hmm. and then when you get to the vietnam stuff i actually feel like 
it's visually interesting, but I feel like it doesn't. It's nothing. It loses some before. of the. It loses some of the uh, depth and the tension that it has in that first half. Had Platoon not come out the year before and mm-hmm. set the standard for the war movie, mm-hmm. I feel like Full Metal Jacket might have been a bit more been seen as a bit more groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, Raising Arizona, like there's a lot of again a lot of really notable movies well, that came out. It's in it's weird that there are so many movies from big name directors this year. Yeah. Like. You're talking Oliver Stone, Woody Allen, Kubrick, the Coen brothers. Further on down the list, we've got Vim Vendors. We got Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. We got uh, Steven Spielberg. We got David Mamet. We got Sam Raimi. Like all these John Hughes. All these people are making yeah. movies this year, which is yeah. That almost seems like unique, doesn't it? It's, it's it weird seems like there's too that... many. Oh, Louis Mal. I forgot him. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh... So you got big filmmakers and then films that people not merely associate with like as like the best movies of the 80s, but some of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Or certainly within their genre. You've got Predator. Mm-hmm. You've got Lethal Weapon. Raising Arizona. You've got The Princess Bride. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And, uh, Evil Dead 2. Robocop. Robocop. I mean, it's, it's, uh, very, it's very strange the way that this, uh, this year worked out. Um, and so, and I think because there's all of these great movies that culture has, has, you know, embraced, I feel like oddly enough, the best pictures, the best picture nominees, almost all of them, maybe except for, for Fatal Attraction have gotten mostly lost over the years. Um, and so, but looking at these, I'm actually, and having seen a good number of them at this point, uh, I'm still fine with the uh, last emperor winning. It's a really, really great movie, uh, that I can't recommend highly enough. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you think? Is there anything looking at the the notable releases that you would point to and say that more? It's hard to say because some of the ones that I really like on here, I don't think are best picture type winners. Um, and you like Wings of Desire more than I do. I do. I love that movie. That's that's probably my favorite one on this list. Although I do love The Princess Bride as well. But you know that that again is not one that's a. That is a best picture contender. That's just a movie that's a lot of fun and is just extremely enjoyable. Um, but yeah. yeah, of all of these, the one I've probably seen the most is Predator with, <laughs> with RoboCop right on its heels. <laughs> I don't know which one I've seen the most. It might. It probably is The Princess Bride. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, you would like that because it's pretty good. Um <laughs> But yeah, but then you get like in almost every genre because then you've got Evil Dead Two, yeah, which you know influenced an entire an entire generation of horror filmmakers. Yeah, it's it's just it's a very interesting year. Like you could go through 1987 and be like, I'm going to watch like the the 20 best movies of 1987, or or maybe the 20 highest grossing or whatever, yeah. and you would probably you you take care of a good chunk of of modern pop culture with yeah that. yeah definitely. Um, so, okay, I think we'll actually end it there. Uh, once again, listeners, if you haven't seen The Last Emperor, I highly recommend it. I also recommend Broadcast News. Um, yeah, I, and because we've got somewhere to be, uh, I will not end with the usual thing. So I'll just say, Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.